Good afternoon to you to this day. Um, this is the second of two, of 20 videos uh, discussing this very question, what is a Lutheran? Going over the basic teachings of the Lutheran faith. Last time we talked about the question, what is a Lutheran? Very much scratching the surface about who Martin Luther is and how we became, the Luther became known as Lutherans. And so today we're going to talk about the the significant documents that make up that are defining of the Lutheran teaching. And it all begins with this document, this book. It's called the Book of Concord. The one I have here, it's the Book of Concord, the Confessions of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. This is prepared by Kolb and Wengert, uh, produced by Fortress Publishing. Um, there is another one, if you bear with me, I'm going to pull over here and grab it is this one this is the one that's produced by Concordia Publishing House it's called Concordia the Lutheran Confessions both of them are different translations of the same set of documents these are when you say you are a Lutheran you are confessing that you believe the contents of this book or this book, all right? So that is what it means at the core to be a Lutheran. So ultimately, yes, you're a Christian. But it's, see, the thing is, is that there's a lot of different sects of Christian. Um, it does come down to how we interpret the Bible. And as from a Lutheran perspective, from my our perspective, uh, we would argue it comes from what you consider your authority. In the Roman Church, the Roman Catholic Church, um, we would argue that their authority is as much scripture. So the way I've always seen it is kind of imagine a triangle, right? So at the base, what is your foundation? What's cool holding it all up? So the base of truth of your doctrine, in many churches, it would be so like in the um, in the Catholic, the Roman Church, Roman Catholic Church, it would be tradition and scripture. They go side by side. So they say tradition teaches this. The church has always taught this. And so this is also where they will fall in their councils. Um, they would say that their councils are infallible. Um, the councils of the church, so this like the Council of Trent, the Council of um, the Vatican, Vatican II, which happened back in the 60s and 70s. Um, the, you know, all those different councils, those are authoritative, even about right on the level of Scripture. There is then the other answer. So on the flip side, there are those who would argue from reason that reason and scripture are on the same terms, and so in this kind, I think this very much shows itself up in the way we inter understand the the sacraments. Um, you know how, for example, the Lord's Supper. How can Jesus be on every altar in the world? He can't be. So obviously. The bread must represent the body. The wine must represent the blood. That's what reason would tell you. Um, we as Lutherans are um, sola scriptura. 
Not, and so, and I have, I just know something. We are sola scriptura. That means scripture alone, but not solo scriptura. And what I mean by that, why there's it so so not, it's S O L A, not S O L O. And so the difference is, if you go solo scriptura, that means you read the scriptures all by yourself, with no one else talking to you. So you don't listen to anybody that maybe know the knows the he, Greek, the Hebrew, the historical context of the scriptures, things like that. That means you live in isolation from community. That is not taught. That is not biblical. It's not scriptural. If you notice, pretty much every letter of the New Testament is written to churches. So they are done in, within the context of the community. But it is sola scriptura, meaning that scripture alone is the basis ultimately. All right? In, as a community, we come together and we try to understand what the scriptures mean. Um, this is why, and so yes, the history of the church, um, tradition is valuable, reason is valuable. We use these skills, we use these tools. This is why we are not solo scriptura, we're sola. These are used to serve the reading of the scriptures. And so the book of Concord is basically a compilation of the doctrines, the teachings that we ultimately believe that the scriptures already confess. So we do not hold the Book of Concord above the Bible. Rather, we are saying that the Bible is holding this up, that this is held up by Scripture. All right. So we believe that this is a faithful exposition of what the Scriptures teach. And there are within this document, there's within the Book of Concord, there's several documents. So the first three documents are the three creeds, the apostles the Nicene, and the Athanasian Creed. Now, I'm going to talk about that when we get to the Creed in later videos, about what the creeds are. But that's what it starts with. It starts with the three creeds. And that, by the way, those are ecumenical. Why they're called ecumenical means that they are confessions. They're shared across Christianity. And so you could go into a Baptist church, a Reformed church, a Lutheran church, Catholic church, Orthodox church, and you will find them all confessing the Apostles' Creed. They will all believe the contents of the Nicene Creed. And they will all believe the contents of the Athanasian Creed. They may not confess it, with, confess it within their church. There might be little itty-bitty differences. Um, for example, the descent into hell isn't in all creeds. Um, there are some creeds that do not have... In the, the Eastern Church, they do not say... Uh, they don't have the filioque, which I'll talk about a little bit more later. Um so they have a little phrase that just means and son that is not in their creed. Uh, so there's little differences like that, but ultimately we are confessing the same thing. That's why they're called ecumenical, shared across Christianity. These creeds, if you do not believe anything in the contents of those creeds, you are not only are you not a Lutheran, you are not a Christian. That is what we are confessing with those creeds. That's why they're at the very beginning of this. Um then you have the Augsburg Confession. The Augsburg Confession was written in 1530. Uh, this was the document that was prepared uh, by Philip Melanchthon with help from others. But Philip Melanchthon is the primary author. And this was in prepared in preparation of the, di the Diet of Augsburg in 1530, where they were to come before Emperor Charles 
Charles V, and he was there to present what they're actually what they were supposed to do was to submit to the Roman theology, the Roman teachings, the Roman way of worship. And they didn't do that. They prepared this document. And they were going to pre and they presented it. But before they did this, one of the cool stories, if you've seen the Luther movie, um, the one that came out, I think in 2004, I think was its release date. It had uh, uh, Joseph Fiennes in it, I think was the actor. Anyways, uh, at the very end of it, they show this scene, this this moment. It's something that really happened in history, where uh, Charles V said, "You are going to worship in the Roman manner, or you will know my sword." To which one of the princes, uh, princes kind of think of like governors, got down on their knees and said, "Before I would let anyone take the word of God from me." I would bow down and have him strike, bow my neck and have him strike my head off. I'm kind of paraphrasing, right? And that's what they did. And several of them came down and on their knees and said, "We fine. We would rather have our head cut off than submit to this what we believe to be false teaching." And so, of course, they ended up presenting the Augsburg Confession. Now, there. Um, the Augsburg Confession, the first few articles of it, is something that we would easily, that um, pretty much any church would agree to. But as you get farther into it, there you get into a lot of the divisions. That following the Augsburg Confession, so in this, written in 1531, was the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Now, Apology in English is usually like saying, I'm so sorry for that. So we might read that as, I'm still sorry for the Augsburg Confession. We shouldn't write it. That's not what it means. Apology comes from the Greek word apologia, which means, simply means defense. So the apology of the Augsburg Confession is a defense of the Augsburg Confession. And it was written because after the Augsburg, was confession, Augsburg Confession was written, naturally, those in the Roman Catholic Church wrote a response. The Augsburg Confession is the rebuttal sort of, or is the response to that, right? And so it's much more detailed. They go into detail on many of the articles of the Augsburg Confession. Now, some of them, they don't spend a lot of time because there wasn't a lot of dispute. So, for example, Article 1 of the Augsburg Confession is that we believe there's a God, that there is only one God. They didn't have to spend a lot of time on that because the Romans agreed with that. But when you get especially <clears throat> to Article 4, which is the article on the doctrine of justification, it is very lengthy because that was the crux. That was the primary point of division between the Lutheran Church and the Roman Catholic Church. And so that's why they spent extensive amount of time dealing with it. Uh, 1537 was, this, was written was a small called Articles of Martin Luther. Um, so that's also in here. Uh, then you also have the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope. There are some Lutheran churches will not admit it's in there. But in essence, it's pretty much saying that the Pope is the Antichrist. Or the office of the Pope. Not necessarily an individual, but the office of the Pope is the Antichrist. And yes, we as Lutherans, would are, we confess that. We confess and we believe that. And not only the Pope, but really anybody who puts them... 
um, or the spirit of the office of the Pope, I guess. It's anyone who puts themselves on a status that is equal or greater than Scripture or God. Um, there are many megachurch preachers that work like this. Um, there are many megachurches where they pretty much frown upon anybody reading the Bible. Um, they do this kind of as a control. There's uh, a guy named Pastor Chris Rosebro. He does a, a podcast knowing, known as Fighting for the Faith. And he's done quite a few videos with these type of pastors. And I remember hearing an interview many years ago. He was interviewing a couple that um, the, the guy and this couple, the husband, uh, had been previously an associate pastor at this church in Minnesota. And what ended up, why they ended up leaving was because was their church, they started reading the Bible more and more for themselves. Well, when the word came out about this, the church actually started blackballing them. Because they don't want you to be reading the Bible. In fact, the head pastor of this church at one point pretty much said that I interpret the scripture, not you. You know, I tell you how to read the Bible. This is exactly, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the power and the primacy, what the power and the primacy of the Pope is dealing with. And so, yes, we confess to this document. And it's, it's an issue that's very relevant, not just with the Pope, but also with um, many of the false preachers in many of the churches in this country, uh, in this world, actually. Then there is the small catechism of Martin Luther and the small and large catechism. They're both written in 1529, and I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. And then you have um, the epitome of the formula of concord and the solid or thorough declaration of the formula of concord written by Martin Chemnitz. So these are the documents that we confess as Lutherans. And by the way, those last two, those are the ones that dealt with a lot of the later Reformation issues. So when you read the Augsburg Confession, they're mostly dealing with the issues of the Roman Catholic Church. By the time you get to the formula of Concord, you're dealing with some of the issues with Calvinism. Um, so a lot of the things that divide us from the Reformed and the Baptist traditions can be found in the formula of Concord. But those documents are ultimately what we as Lutherans confess. Um, when you become a Lutheran, you are saying that you confess to the documents contained within this book. So you're sitting there saying that, well, most kids don't ever read it. Most Lutherans, even our elders, have probably never picked up that, which probably there's an argument that's not a good thing. Um, probably really elders should be knowing this, and maybe we as pastors need to hold our elders more accountable in that regard. But this is what Lutherans, what we teach Lutherans. And this is the core of what I'm going to be teaching through the course of these 20 videos. And I'm going to start, I'm going to start up with it in two or three videos. We're going to really start digging into this. And that is, this is Concordia Publishing House put this out just this year. Um, it's a nice little compilation of both Luther's small and large catechism. And small catechism is what is generally taught in most of our confirmation or catechesis classes. Catechesis, by the way, is just a fancy word for instruction. So catechesis is Christian instruction. And so catechesis, Christian instruction, is a life 
long endeavor. But we do traditionally, leading up to the, to the reception of the Lord's Supper for the first time, we teach. And that's actually understood because in the scriptures it says that you are supposed to Jesus says that you do this in remembrance of me, so you do the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. So how can you do that in remembrance of him if you don't know who he is? So we want to make sure whoever it is that's taking communion knows who Jesus is. They know that they're a sinner because you're doing it for the forgiveness of sins. you got to know that you have sins that need to forgive. Um, we need to know that the body and blood is present, because 1 Corinthians 11 kind of deals with that. So, so I'm kind of diving into something I'm going to deal with later, specifically the issue of closed communion, um, which, again, like I said, it's a later topic. But that is the reasons why. Um, so we do go through instruction. Usually this is what is used, the small catechism. The way it was originally intended was that um, Luther's large catechism, which is exactly what it is. It's a larger, expanded version. It takes all the things that are talked about in the small catechism, which is really quick little snippets in the small catechism, and the large catechism digs deep. Traditionally, what should be done is that the pastor would teach the parents how the large catechism. They would be instructed on it. And when they were done with instruction, they would take what they learned in the large catechism and they'd go home and teach the small catechism to their kids using as a backdrop what they learned in the large catechism. Because really, it's the job of parents to teach their kids the catechism, not the pastor. Really, the reason pastors teaching is because really parents have gotten lazy. There's no simpler way to put it. And we as a church have accommodated it. And so how do we go back to a more faithful way? I don't have an easy answer to you because you're fighting a culture. You're fighting a history that's gone on in our churches for um, several hundred years. So it's not exactly an easy fix, easy overnight fix. So what we'll be doing through the course of these videos is we are going to be watching, walking through Luther's small catechism. And in Luther's catechism, small catechism, there are six chief parts. And the six chief parts is falls. And by the way, I should make a note about the catechism. So I'm going to, this right here, so our kids, this is the catechism that they learn off. But the thing is, you know, if you were to look at it closely, sorry, it says Luther's small catechism with explanation. So this, in my book, this is a small catechism. And this actually includes a lot of um, artwork and stuff like that, little footnotes and stuff like that. So even this is... Th a little bit thicker than the catechism really is. So how did it get to be that thick? Well, the simple. They have explanation in there. They have all these little Bible verses to help explain um, parts of the catechism, things like that. And so that's why it's a little bit thicker. But really, ultimately, the catechism is just this. It's six chief parts. And so it begins with the Ten Commandments. And so this is the law. It's the instruction. So the law... And I'm going to talk about long gospel a little bit, but the law at its core shows our sin. All right. Then it's then it goes to the creed, that's the second chief part. So the apostles' creed. So we look at the three articles of the creed, 
who is God, right? And within the content, nestled within that contents is the gospel. Again, like I said, the long gospel can talk about a little bit later. Then you have the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, if you actually follow it, is actually almost a reflection. It is, it's almost written like it's the Ten Commandments through the lens of the creed. And so it is a prayer that, as we are Christians, that we would live in accordance with God's will. And prayer is ultimately what Christians do. So that's the third chief part. So those three things are the most essential teachings of the Christian church. And Luther said these are things that a Christian must know. They must know the Ten Commandments by heart. Not the meanings, just the commandments. They're supposed to know the creed by heart. They're supposed to know the Lord's Prayer by heart. All right? They could recite it like that. Right? Then there's the Sacrament of Holy Baptism. And again, what would you remember for memorize for the Sacrament of Holy Baptism? You would remember, memorize, um, probably Matthew 28, 19, and 20. So go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all teaching them all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the first verse. The other one is Mark 16, verse 16. Um, all who believe and are baptized shall be saved. Those who do not believe are condemned. So those are the two verses. You should know those by heart. But the, in here, he goes into more depth. What is baptism? And then verse 5. So the fifth chief part is confession, the confession of sins. And then the sixth chief part is the sacrament of the altar. So the fifth, fourth, fifth, and sixth part are ultimately the sacraments. So those are that is the breakup of the catechism. And so the whole thing is the first part is about our failings. We failed to keep the law. The second part is about what God has done, it has and is doing for us. The third part, third chief article, part three through six. It's ultimately how we live as Christians, in prayer and reception of the sacrament. So we're going to dig more into that in um, a couple, in the next couple of videos. You'll, we'll really dig into that. Um, until then, um, I'll come back, and I pray that um, you continue to find a blessing in this. Uh, I'll be back in a little bit and, and record the next video. So hopefully I'll have a full 20 videos when I'm done with this.